0: Welcome to the UK Ravens podcast, the only official, unofficial Baltimore Ravens podcast from the United Kingdom.
1: An exciting week of divisional round football and an exciting UK Ravens show with our biggest guest yet. Welcome back to the UK Ravens podcast. My name is Gaz Paul, and I'm once again joined by my friends who I met on the internet. Ben Mortimer, Ian DeMaine, Shane Richmond and James Ogden. Ian, last week I gave you the instruction to go out and find us a big guest. How did you manage to get on? You did
2: and would I let you down, Gaz? Would I let you down
1: that place? I, I don't think you would, no. What, <laughs> what, what, what have you got in store for us, Ian?
2: So I managed to rustle up a guest for us today. A, a pretty big guest, I'd say. Um, the Starting centre for the Baltimore Ravens, the Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee for the Baltimore Ravens, uh, the one and only Bradley Bozeman.
1: Excellent. Well, no, t- no, <laughs> I don't believe it. <laughs> that, ben, you, you should win an award for that performance. I mean, obviously, spoiler alert, we've already recorded this, so we already know, but from ben's reaction there you would have never have known but i'll tell you what let's jump straight into the interview with bradley let's not let's not hide it and push it to the end of the podcast let's give you the interview with bradley now and then we'll pick this up on the other side and we'll go ahead and talk about the week of ravens football We are now joined on the podcast by the starting center for your Baltimore Ravens, one half of the Bradley and Nicky Bozeman Foundation, the 2021 Baltimore Ravens, Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee, an absolute unit of a man, an all-around nice guy. Welcome to the UK Ravens podcast, Bradley Bozeman.
3: Uh, How are we doing? Love the introduction. That was great. (laughs)
1: Thank you. Tried that, warmed up with that one a little bit earlier on. Let's dive straight into it. Obviously, we want to... Talk about your time as a Raven, but first, as the Ravens' nominee for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, could you explain a little bit about the work of yours and Nikki's foundation?
3: Yeah, so Nikki and I started the Bradley and Nikki Bosum Foundation back in 2018, uh, where we talked to about 28 schools in the month of April before the draft, um, and you know we're just able to talk to them about anti-bullying um, and kind of you know spread their, our message about that. Uh, Nikki and I both were, were bullied growing up, so you know we really found a passion for that. Uh, fast forward to 2020, we would go cross country, talking to kids in an RV. Um, you know, starting in Maryland, going across down the southern state, and just uh, you know coming all the way back. And then COVID hit, shut us down, uh, and we we're getting emails from kids saying that they didn't have any food. There was no food being provided for them. Uh, so we decided that uh, we were going to you know start doing food insecurity. Uh, so from about I think it was June of 2020 till now. We've served about three million meals, roughly, so and counting. So we're we're really excited about that. It, it's mostly, mostly because of my wife, Dicky, but uh, but she she's the real star of the show there. But uh, I will fit in where I can.
4: Brother, you um, you've you know you've mentioned that you've gone sort of touring the country and and educating people about bullying, and I know that's that's caused you to kind of do some things that are a bit outside of your comfort zone, like public speaking. Um, how did you kind of cope with that? And, and would you give any advice to anybody else who who has to do that kind of thing?
3: Yeah, for sure. And I'll give you a little background. So, whenever I, I started, we started doing this. I was a, like, hated public speaking. Um, yeah, I, I was a typical like sweaty palms, like stumbling over my words. And our first school we went to, uh, we actually weren't supposed to speak. We were supposed to just talk to the one girl that was getting bullied. And we got there, and the principal goes, Well, we're going to, we're gonna do it. We did an entire school assembly. I hope that's okay. And my wife's like, "Absolutely, we're gonna well, let's do it." Uh, and I'm sitting there like, oh, "I don't know. I don't want to do that." But uh, she she pulled me aside. It's like you'll be fine. They don't know what you're talking about, so just talk. If you mess up, it's okay. So we just went. We went from there. She picked me up. Um, you know, made made me do it. And uh, from there, you know, I feel like I've I've, I've gained a pretty good uh, skill in public speaking.
2: So it's not, it's not just kids that, uh, that bullying affects either. Um, it's in, in adulthood too. Um, sometimes those going into professional sport, elite level sport, you see it, see it in them too. What advice would you give to to future talent or maybe if you could give yourself advice going back into that advir- environment now?
3: Uh, yeah, for sure. You know, we always, we always teach the kids just ways to cope with it, ways to cope with bullying, ways to, uh Bring up your self-esteem, ways to you know feel better about it, and because it never stops, no matter how old you get, it never stops. It's always going to be there from you know the time time you you wake up to the time you go to bed. It's going to be there. Um, so you know, just just knowing who you are as a person, knowing your self worth, knowing that you're putting on this earth for a reason, um, finding that skill that you love, whether it's whether it's sports or it's uh, singing or it's cooking or whatever it may be. Um, you know, finding that passion, whenever that, um, that negative energy starts building up, go to that passion, go to that, that love of something and just really dive in and put all that energy into something positive. And you'll look back one day and you'll, you'll find yourself at a top of the mountain, you know, you've accomplished something great because you put all that negative energy, um, and focus on something positive.
1: That's awesome, man. And and you said the
2: um you said you jumped in the RV and you traveled around the country giving giving these talks. Any any plans to widen that out? Maybe go international with the with the foundation.
3: Um, not as of right now. Uh, maybe in the future, for sure. Uh, you know, Mickey and I love love the RV life. Love going around. Um, you know, it's it definitely definitely not off the table for sure. But as of right now, we're we're going to kind of stick kind of locally. Uh, going to be in different places. Uh, kind of bouncing around so um, you know just just excited to be able to get back in these schools again um, as hopefully COVID's starting to kind of settle back down a little bit.
5: And to move on to talking a a little bit about football and your time with the Ravens. We hear from a lot of players that playing for the Ravens is special and quite a lot of players uh, stay connected to the area and to the team and even come back after leaving. Um, what is it for you that, that makes the Ravens a special organization? Would you say?
3: Uh, you know, the Ravens gave me my opportunity. Um, I was a six round draft pick uh, coming out of Alabama. Uh, you know, I was I was you know I was just fighting for a spot, fighting for an opportunity uh, to be able to to get on that team, and I was able to to fight for that spot and get it, and just uh, moving forward, just continuing to to build my role, build um, you know the player that I am, the person that I am there. Um, and just having that opportunity uh was so special and that place will always hold a special place in Nicky and I's heart. Um, and we'll definitely continue our, our foundation uh work going forward there. So
0: I mean, yeah, Bradley, and I, I know that everyone in, in Baltimore uh, loves you right back on that. And uh, for playing with this team, and as you said, you're a sixth round pick and you've you worked your way into a sort of fundamental part of the offensive line. And you have arguably one of the best seats in the house to witness uh, what's been a fairly historic run offense, and especially when everyone's healthy, uh, led by Lamar Jackson. Uh, I mean, what do you like about this offense and playing in this off- F- offense, and what's it like to play with Lamar Jackson?
3: Um, you know, I just, I love the togetherness. I love the, um, just the will to go out there and compete, no matter what the score is, no matter what's on the line, you know, just going out there and competing your butts off with each other, willing to just put it out on the line for your teammate. Um, you know, this, this, this offense, this team, has always had each other's backs, has always been there uh, during the the good times and the bad, Um, and no matter how much time is left, no matter what the score is, I mean, the guys fight to the very end, Um, and just, you know, so proud of of everyone to call myself, you know, part of that and being a Raven. Um, So I, I think just that togetherness is definitely my favorite part.
4: But the, the way you've kind of developed over your, your first contract with the Ravens and some of the kind of, I was reading some of the scouting reports on you when you were coming out Um prep for for you coming on and and some of your kind of perceived limitations in inverted commas as a as an NFL prospect that that there's like some parallels you could draw to Marshall Yander and obviously I'm sure you like he's a future Hall of Famer so being mentioned the same breath is great but I I wanted to kind of ask you if there was any you know you played with him for a few years I wanted to ask you if there's anything you kind of learned from from Yander and and anything you adapt uh, you you put in your play today because of playing with him
3: Listen, you can you can always compare, compare me to Marshall Yon, but that's a great category to be in. But, yeah, you know, Marshall, Marshall was a competitor. He played the game the right way. Um, I was very fortunate to have two years, um, you know, playing beside Marshall um, and uh, him in that other guard spot. And, you know, just, just to learn from him, to go out there and compete, to see the energy that he put in this game, to see the passion and love um, that he put forth uh, for this game that he loved was, was just – it was impeccable. Um You know, he was. I always remember we were playing the Browns on the fourteen and two season in twenty nineteen. We're down by it was the first time we played them, and we were down by like I think it was like twenty points, something like that. And there was a minute and forty seconds left on the clock, roughly. Um, And he just turned and looked at me. He's like, "Battle your ass off! Like I don't care what score, just finish the shit." And you know that that just stuck with me because it's like no matter what the situation is, no matter what's going on. Like you battle, you are what you put on tape. Um, so, you know, that's one of the biggest lessons I learned from him. And I think he's one of those people that kind of set that that standard as, as a Raven, uh, fighting until the end, until the, you know, there, there's no more time left. Um, so, you know, just just very, I was very grateful to have Marshall um, in that in that offensive line room with me. And, um, you know, it, it was just, a, he's a great guy, great, great player. Um, great husband, great teammate, just an all-around great man. So
5: Now, Bradley, obviously we're a UK podcast, and we have uh, fans here in the UK getting into the NFL game year on year, and they don't necessarily grow up with the game like you guys do there in the US. And sometimes people think that the guys on the offensive line are just there to be big and, and get in the way and don't necessarily understand the skill that's involved in, in playing those positions. What would you say are the most undervalued skills needed to play on the offensive line, or the skills that people often overlook?
3: Any, anyone that has to go backwards and block a three hundred and fifty pound lineman, I'd call it a pretty good little skill. <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're one of the are the only positions that does that. Uh, you know, DBs, of course, but you know they're more in space. Uh, but yeah, just just you know, being able to get off the ball, having the balance uh, and body control to be able to you know going in reverse. Get, putting the, the force forward enough to be able to stop these big athletic defensive linemen um, is def- definitely an undervalued skill. You know, a lot of people – you hear a lot of people say, hey, oh, just put your feet in the ground and you punch. It's like, no, it's not, it's not quite that easy. You know, you got you got to make sure you're in the right position. you got to make sure you got the right technique. And depending on the player you're playing, uh, making sure that, you know, they, like he's going to know your counter moves, so you got to know his counter moves to your counters. Um, so just, you know, being – just burst and everything that the player across from you does um, is it, huge. Um, and just, I mean, all around, it, it's a very tough position to play, um, but you know, it, it's a very rewarding one. You, you're the first one to get blamed, but the last one to the glory. But you love the ride all the way around. So, um, you know, just just blessed to be able to be a part of uh, this, this Ravens offensive line uh, these last four years, and to be able to to play it live, really my entire life. Um, so yeah.
2: And you, um, of course, you made the switch from guard to center this year. Was that something you pushed for? How, um, um, do you see yourself as a center going forward? And how early in the process, sort of training camp-wise, did you know that you were going to be playing center this this season?
3: Yeah, so uh, I, I played uh, center at the University of Alabama. That was that was my position. That's where I got my first start. And I uh, played there for two years, got drafted to the center, got here, got switched to guard. Uh, so the transition back to center was amazing. I was excited about it. Um, I knew about, I knew about halfway through last year um, that that was a, a huge possibility that I, or not, not last year, but 2020, um, 2020, that that was a good possibility of uh, me moving back to center. And then the end of the season came and then, you know, Coach Harves and I talked about it a lot. Coach Roman and I talked about it a lot. They, they told me they were going to give me an opportunity to, to try the position. Um, and, you know, I think I did really well with it. Um, I came in I I felt like I dominated pretty well from the beginning Um, and just you know I think I had a really good season had definitely my best season uh, in the NFL and just you know I was really excited about that transition and uh, to be able to get back to home so
4: could you just give a give an idea of like how difficult it, it can sometimes be to move positions around the offensive line lots of people think it's just you know interchangeable but I know it can be quite difficult
3: yeah, absolutely. It's, it it's, it's a lot more difficult than you would think. Um, each position has its own unique um, unique skill sets that you need. Unique, you know, foot placement, footwork, hand placement. Uh, Whether you're right-handed, left-hand dominant. Um, so I mean, each position is unique in its own aspect. Um, so you know, just just switching back and forth, it, it's a it's a tough it's a tough task. But um, you know, a lot a lot of guys are kind of interchangeable as they. They grow up and play football and continue to, to progress as linemen. Uh, you got to be versatile. You got to be able to play at least three positions in the NFL. Um, and you know, it, it's just it's one of those things you kind of just have to do. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely tough to to be able to get go back and forth, um, especially in the short time frame. Whenever you don't have much time to prep, you don't have much time to um, to be able to get really comfortable in that position. So um, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a tough task.
0: Well, Bradley, while we're on the subject of Alabama, uh, obviously you did win a national championship with them. And um, in the UK, if you play kind of collegiate level sport, you're lucky to get a dozen people and a dog watching you. Whereas, you know, in the US, it's a different kettle of fish and you've got 100,000 people every Saturday screaming from the stands. I mean, what's it like being kind of front and center and being adulated by that many people and playing in front of crowds like that when you're so young?
3: Um, you know, it, it's just kind of one of those things you get used to. Um, you come in as a, as a freshman and you think like, Oh, like this, this is what this is about. Like the hair sends up on back of your neck, like you get the, the whole, the whole gamut of emotions come through you, all the work you put in to get to that point. Um, you know, all the, all the thoughts of, of things that have happened over your career that led to that, that moment. Um, and then from that point, it kind of gets, it gets normalized. Um, you know, everything just kind of, it kind of, fades into okay, this is just what I got to do today, um, and then by the by the end of it, by your fourth fifth year, you're like you're kind of numb to it. You know, you're kind of like, oh, you're the big man on campus. You know, your 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 crap don't stink, whatever. And then you get <laughs> you get to the NFL and you really get humbled. Um, you know, you go you go back from being this big shot on campus to this this boy that just walked into a men's locker room, um, and you know it, it's a it's a crazy experience and um, just just such a, an amazing lesson just, you know, to any, any young people out there that are listening, uh, you know, take every moment in, no matter, no matter it's Wee, it's middle school, high school, uh, collegially, NFL, whatever it may be, uh, take every moment in. Cause I mean, you, you'll miss every single one of them, every single phase of football, every single phase of sports. Um, you know, like I, I miss playing with my, my high school guys uh, in my high school, my, my small high school stadium. Um, so just take in the moment and never, never get too big for
4: the moment. Right. M- moving away from football, uh, Brad, I just wanted to ask you, know, you mentioned before that you and Nikki have kind of taught the, taught the, I know it was for the foundation, but you sort of toured across the US in an RV um, in the off season uh, a couple of seasons ago. And um, me and my wife have, have done a lot of traveling across America and I've got to give her a bit of a shout out for an assist on many of these questions for you. She's a big fan. And she wanted me to ask that kind of like, RVs are a big part of American culture and we, we don't really have any over here, um, but you see them all the time over in the US. What's the kind of attraction with RV and what would what would your ideal RV look like? Uh, ideal RV? Uh, for, so for Nikki
3: and I, it's like a, 25 foot fifth wheel which is it connects to the back of the truck um you tow it around you know it's got a, a bed in the back a little kitchen a little place to with some recliners um you know a, a awning that comes out a tv you know we're, we're pretty we're pretty simple there they get to be these extravagant you know 40 50 foot um you know driving rvs that um, that are very 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 um you know their they're prices of, of somehow yeah, just Nikki and I. It's pretty, pretty simple. You know, easy to move, maneuver in and out of places, um, and you know, it, it's just that's that's kind of our idea of it. But um, it's such, such a fun lifestyle. So many, so many amazing people you meet. Um, so many exciting and uh, crazy views that you see. I mean, we saw got to see the Grand Canyon, which I thought was one of the, the craziest things I've ever seen, um, just from a natural a natural beauty standpoint. But um, just, I, I love the, the RV experience and living in the RV for
5: for the year that we did and
3: the, the cross country trip that we took.
4: What What would be one place that you you'd say to to people in the UK they should visit in the US? That's not that's kind of off the beaten track. Maybe not not like New York or like one place that's a bit underrated.
3: Oh, like, I, I mean, I think the Grand Canyon is very underrated. Uh, I, I think it's. Uh, I think you can see all the pictures you want of it. But until you go and experience it firsthand, you can't grasp the depth and the beauty of that place. Um, I mean, it, it just, it goes on forever. Um, and I, I think it's just one of the one of the coolest attractions I've ever seen.
1: Awesome. So you, you mentioned you like getting out there and seeing new views and meeting new people. A little birdies told us that you and Nikki are potentially looking to visit the UK soon, maybe even this summer. Firstly, you just need to know that I'm sure there'll be a few of us over here in the UK that'd be more than happy to buy you a beer and show you around. So don't book a tour guide. We will 100% look after you. Don't worry about that. But what, what is it about the UK that attracts you?
3: Uh, just new adventures. You know, new, new people, new adventures. Um, just kind of, you know, it's it just just exciting. I want to get over there and explore and, and see and, um, you know, be able to, to experience what you guys experience. Um, you know, and, and just, just to be able to see the beauties of of the UK and, and everything. And, um, you know, hopefully we can get over this year, but don't know for sure if we're going to be able to this year. Um, you know, just kind of got to see what happens. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll definitely keep you guys updated.
0: Well, you've got three itinerary planners here. There's five of us and we all have our own strengths and weaknesses. So you say experience what? <laughs> You, we experience, we'll skip Pontefract, Gaz, just for that. But um, but, but we'll be more than happy to, uh, to if, if you do make it, uh, the beers are on us.
3: Okay, that sounds great. I'll definitely take y'all up on that one day, for sure.
1: Awesome, Bradley. Well, thank you for joining us tonight, or this afternoon where you are. From all of us in the UK, just want to let you know that we're rooting for you and the Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee. We hope you're going to bring that award home we're thankful for everything you've done for this team and the community obviously we don't want to get into it but it's going to be an interesting off season for you we'd love to see you back in purple and black and we just want to say we wish you the best with your off season and thank you once again for joining us Bradley
3: Uh, thank y'all so much this was amazing it was so much fun I had a great time
1: awesome thanks man have a good day thanks man cheers Thank you. (laughs) and there goes Bradley Bozeman Ben that was a lot of fun wasn't it
0: yeah, what a, what a guy! I mean, it's just um, again, I always sort of say exemplifies playing like a raven or being a raven. But I mean, obviously, if you're up for the Walter Payton Man of the Year award, you, you have a lot of special attributes. And what a lovely, lovely guy! And I, I wanted, I should have asked him about barbecue because I get the feeling he likes barbecue food too. And I'll to talk <laughs> about barbecue recipes, but maybe next time.
1: We'll save that for the Gaz and Ben smoking podcast that we have planned for the off-season. Oh yeah, I forgot about where that. Where we talk about. We talk about Spatchcock versus um, beer can chicken spatchcock and why. Spatchcock Corner, that's it. Yeah, Spatchcock Corner, that was it. That's, that's the segment we were going for. Anyway, until then, let's get into some actual Ravens news. It's the first week where we've got something real to talk about, Ian. In a bit of a weird press release... Wink and the Ravens part ways. I'm using air quotes on an audio podcast, but I'm sure you have got that in my voice. Part ways. Part, what does it mean? Yeah, here?
2: part ways. It was it was an interesting one, that wasn't it? The, the timing was interesting as well. So it was it was during the end of season meeting with with Harbour and Biscotti and and the rest of them. So um, you've, you've got to imagine this has come from from on high, and it's they say part ways. It, it's a firing, isn't it? I, I think um, re- reading into it. I think everyone expected a coordinator to go. I'm, I'm not sure this was the one people thought would. And I'm not sure it's, it's the last one either. Um, I'm not sure this will be the last of it. So, so it could, could be interesting. Um, timing wise was interesting as well. They dropped it at 5.30 on a Friday, just before all the playoff games. So no one nationally now is, is even mentioning it. It's, um, it's a pretty big deal and, and, and it's been forgotten about already. So the Ravens are, are very clever about when they've, when they've dropped this news.
1: It's an odd fall from grace, isn't it? He went from being a head coach candidate a year ago to now on the market.
4: I don't think anyone necessarily thinks that he's not going to end up as a defensive coordinator somewhere once this cycle of coaching hires ends. I don't. I don't think his reputation has kind of fallen off a cliff with the last with the last Ravens um, defensive season. It, it apparently that there has been some rumors that he was getting calls from a lot of different. A lot of, you know a lot of different teams, and he's a year away from ending his contract anyway. And the Ravens maybe just thought, let's not have him be a lame duck, um, and let him go and get a contract somewhere else for a team that's that it's better suited to uh, that he's better suited to in their current guise. Which it just it's, it's it was an odd one, but it does feel like that might might have played into it.
5: And he has a pretty good excuse for this season's performance, and the fact that his entire secondary was out for for periods of the season. And I think it it seems pretty clear. If you were going to fire him for this season's performance, then you would have to say that he's done about the same as his opposite number on offense. So you'd expect them both to go on on that basis. And I think this is more about a desire for a changing philosophy from from just reading between the lines. There's also some suggestions that senior people were kind of upset about the things he said in press conferences, which may be a reference to the Joe Burrow thing, which seemed to I don't know. There's this, you know, Joe Burrow said that he, he had that as a chip on his shoulder that um Wink dared to suggest that he's not a Hall of Famer, which obviously he is. The 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 Ravens
2: defence <laughs> is going to look very different next year, um, scheme wise and and personnel wise. You just look at some of the names that that are going to go from from this side of the ball and like you said it could just be that getting out ahead of it you know he, he's got a year left do you want to bring all these guys in these new guys give them a year in in wink scheme just to tear it up when when he probably walks away in a year's time anyway or do you want to get ahead of it now get these new guys in with a new defensive coordinator who hopefully sticks around for the next 3 or 4 years that seems to be the life cycle and and they learn learn this thing together from from the get go
0: I mean, how do we all feel about it? We, apart from being surprised, are you disappointed? I mean, I'm personally, I was quite disappointed because I, I really like Wink as, as far as, and not really on the, uh, maybe uh, not from that much of a, a technical coordinator perspective, but just the fact that he was kind of a dyed-in-the-wool, typical Ravens DC, um, you know, from the kind of bullish demeanor to the kind of organized chaos type of blitz packages and um uh, and even to, to those crazy, you know, sort of white long sleeve vests that he just wore throughout the season, um, I uh, I was a big wink fan. He, he and uh, having kind of grown up in my support around kind of the sort of Rex Ryan era as well in the, the end of the 2000s, uh, it, it kind of reminded me of that. So I, I'm personally sorry to see him go, and, and I think he was obviously really unlucky as the entire coaching staff have been with the amount of injuries that we've suffered. I think he he's he's also. Um, you know, the, the, the amount of late leads that we've given away, the inability to defend uh, at the end of a game, um, a, 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 sort of a, a tight margin of, of, of leading a game, has probably cost him as well. But that's not all on him. Um, and some people have been saying that, you know, that certainly that last week where he was putting guys essentially on an island or one-on-one um, with more experienced receivers, and these guys were essentially third stringers. Um, but I'm not sure what else he could have done there because if he hadn't have put them one on one, then would have had no pressure whatsoever on the, on the quarterback and it's picking your poison. So I, I, I'm I'm sad a little bit. I mean, I'll, I'll get over it. I mean, how how, how are you? Are you are you okay? Yeah,
2: I'm, I'm I'm the same as you, Ben. I think it, it shouldn't be forgotten how good Wink's defenses were. I think he's what been in the top top five three out of the four years. Um, but it also shouldn't be forgot how much money is spent on his side of the ball. He's had, he's had the money, whereas the, the offensive side of the ball hasn't. Um, and that's, that's going to change. Um, and I think Wink's done some really creative stuff. This, you look, look at what he did with Devontae Adams and, and a few other guys. Um, people saying that he's just left these no name cornerbacks on an island. Okay. Occasionally that's, that's been true, but, but he has at least tried. It hasn't just been. He, he's presumed he's got Marlon Marcus back there and he's, he's just running the same defence. He has been trying stuff and I just don't know what, what more he could have done.
5: I certainly think looking back at the last, that, that that run of losses at the end of the season, it's very hard to look at any of those games, really any of those games at all and say, well, the defence should have done better there. Um, I mean, they got blown away by Cincinnati, but that was also a game when they had almost no players to to call on in some of the other games i think they did about as well as you can expect against the packers with the players they had available they did a really good job with the rams and and um yeah i mean i'm a little bit disappointed too but you know i like him but um, it'll be interesting to see what they do next because that will that will give us some clue as to what the thinking is behind this as well this
1: feels like something we're always going to run into with the Ravens under John Harbor. where we're never going to get that number one DC for more than a year because they're then going to go on to be head coaches. I think the the curse that comes with Harbor a special teams coach, in that head coaching role is we'll never have that 1A offensive coordinator or that 1A defensive coordinator because they will just go get other jobs. Wink reminded me a lot of the DNP's defense we had before where there were... It was a 1B defensive coordinator, was probably never going to be a head coach, but was still a really good defensive coordinator. But the difference between the 1A defensive coordinator, the 1B, is you do have the fourth and long touchdowns to Cincinnati that you're just going to sort of crack in the moment. But had he been, take those pl- the few plays away and the, the complaints about Wink, it ended up being a head coach anyway. So it sort of felt like would have lost him regardless, I think.
5: I don't know if I agree with that characterization of him, to be honest. I think that if you look at, we're going to talk about the playoff games in a minute, but you look at that Bengals-Chiefs game, there's pretty good defensive coordinators at both of those teams. And you'd be hard-pressed to tell that there was a defense that showed up. I mean, it's just, it's the modern <laughs> NFL. Like, you're you're going to get destroyed sometimes by the passing game because that's, that's where the the skill players are but it's also where the rules lean it's where in order to try and slow these teams down you've got to take risks and I think he did have a high risk high reward um strategy but it was a strategy it was very clearly thought out and it worked more often than it didn't generally
4: I think you can look at that game and, and look at Leslie Frazier and Steve Spagnolo as the the two dcs in that game and and know that Maybe that is where the Ravens are going. Actually, is that w- to move away from the, to, from the kind of experienced defensive coordinator to maybe the bright young mind that uh, Allah Brandon Staley, um, who was obviously at the Rams before, uh, as the defensive coordinator before he went on to the uh, coaching job at the Chargers. It feels like it's a bit of a sea change in their in their direction and what they do. I, I think it'll be interesting to see kind of the scheme changes that are made. I think if, if anybody sort of uh, takes a bit more note of this defense, they they are a they are a defense that plays the run first. They are a defense that that two gaps, um, which means that your defensive lineman is kind of responsible for two gaps on as on on them um, on running plays, and it has historically slowed down that that form of defense has historically slowed down some quite effective pass rushers that have come in through this through this building and have gone out elsewhere and had success. And it will be interesting to see if they feel like they need to build a defense that is more predicated on on getting a bit more pass rush. I think Wink has spoken at length about how he'd want a defensive back above any kind of edge rusher. And I think one of the things we saw throughout the season was Wink fighting himself in several games. You know, he he had to be just a different, totally different version of himself. He had to be strapped to a chair with... with Duct tape over his mouth to stop him such from an, from such blitzing. Such an amazing
5: image.
4: Um, and so he he just I i wonder whether the, the Ravens looked at that and thought, you know, six or seven times this year he had to run a defense that wasn't his defense to run, and and maybe they think that they could get something else out of out of, out of that defense from somebody else, and and they have some incredible talent, some some real you know penetrative rushes on that defensive line you could take some of the shackles off madabike and Oway in terms of their their responsibilities as run defenders and 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 let them loose And so it'll be interesting to see what the who who is appointed next um which should should show you the kind of future direction
1: ben who who do you think that is who do you think the ravens are looking at what candidates are available
0: i don't know i mean you can prognosticate on this but whoever you kind of throw out there, they always, the Ravens quite often will pull something completely left field and, and you won't expect it. But um, quoting our um, Journalist of the Year, whatever the official title was uh, for the award, uh, Jeff Zed, uh, did actually a bit of this job for me yesterday anyway with an excellent article uh, lining up the candidates. And you know, The Ravens have historically promoted from within, within the coaching ranks. Um, and have had great success doing it. And most of those sort of low-level coaches have gone on to be coordinators and then gone on to be either very effective coordinators elsewhere or head coaches elsewhere. Um, the two main names that, that Jeff's mentioned would be Joe Cullen, who, um, sorry, is not actually a uh, an internal one, but uh, he's currently the, uh, he was the Jags defensive coordinator. He still is at the moment, but obviously he's in a bit of a limbo situation. Um, and uh, despite how horrible they were this year, the Jags, Um, They actually didn't do too badly on D, um, considering the positions they're in constantly. Um, And he's been mentioned. As far as promoting from within, uh, you've got Chris Hewitt, um, who's currently the pass game coordinator and secondary coach. But if you're making the argument for um, kind of failings uh, in the secondary and and giving up big plays, I'm not sure how you can necessarily um, put that on a par with being made D.C. And, and, and having to sort of kind of shed that uh, that dirty linen straight off the bat. The interesting one for me is Jim Leonard, um, who is currently the uh, D.C. and D.B. coach at Wisconsin. Um, and many of you, uh, I guess, mid-tier to older fans <laughs> of the Ravens will remember <laughs> Jim from, uh, from Harbour's uh, rookie year as a head coach in 2008. Um, and he was one mean kick returner, um, and a real uh, and, and a really really uh, great special teams player, and, and a pretty useful DB as well. Um, and I'll be honest, you know, I don't have uh, much on Jim Leonard as a coach, apart from the fact that he's been incredibly promising. So, if you're looking at that. Uh, kind of age range then that might be the kind of guy that they'd be looking at and then uh, last one to mention because I I loved him as a player as well as Anthony Weaver and again this will be a a promotion from within currently the uh, the run game coordinator and D-line coach obviously he's only 41 so he's kind of um, not that far removed from the players current age groups to kind of relate to them in a way Uh, whereas the likes of Wink may not Um, so uh, that's one thing and uh, I I think as far as fitting the profile of a Ravens DC he could kind of fit the mould on that and I know he's been he's been I think more hotly tipped than a lot of people so uh, Anthony Weaver I guess would be uh, one to watch on that and I wouldn't I wouldn't complain if he was was hired not actually knowing how he'll do as a DC you never do but as James said you know we do have some great personnel in place and he already has a rapport with them whenever you hire from within the advantage you have is that the players know what they're going to get, and also the organization know from the players' feedback that they might play for this guy rather than that guy. So that could be interesting to watch.
5: And he was DC at um, the Houston Texans last year. Um, so I mean, it was the four and twelve Houston Texans, but you know, you've got to work with what you've got. But he's you know he's done the job. He's got some experience. And I my thing about Harbour is that I think he tends to prefer to appoint coaches who have done that job before it's quite unusual if you look back through his coordinators to find someone he's appointed who hasn't been coordinator at least at college level it's quite unusual for him to appoint someone to be a coordinator for the first time so that would that would kind of fit his profile but who knows
4: if i could just um so jim leonard has been my secret Sort of want for <laughs> as, for as soon as Ben.
1: will get as soon as Ben mentioned Jim Leonard. <laughs> James's eyes lit up, and since every time there's been a slight break for someone to take a breath, he's like <laughs> leaning towards his mic, like chomping at the bit to get in on this. Go on, James.
3: I really
4: so I, <laughs> I love watching the uh, the Wisconsin defense, and I sort of pegged to that it was Jim. Uh, it was actually a couple of years ago when he first got the job. And um, I was watching a Wisconsin game, and it cut to him on the sideline. And it said Jim Leonard, and it said Leonard with an H. And I was like, "Is that? It kind of looks like Jim Leonard. I'm not sure that's how you spell Leonard. Is that is that the Jim Leonard?" <laughs> and uh, sort of did a bit more research and found out it obviously was. And that defense is phenomenal. He's a, he, you know he's a young coach who came up in the in the kind of uh, I think he went to the Jets after the Ravens possibly with rex ryan i
0: think yeah he did he did and he he did a great job for the jets as well in in 09 uh, because i think they made the afc championship
4: yeah they did didn't they uh, yeah he he was quite an enforcer as a safety but he kind of grew up in that in that that environment that way of playing defense and he has taken that way of playing defense and adapted it and he's he's put his own stamp on it and that wisconsin defense is is fearsome you know that without a whole boatload of talent you know they don't they don't have loads of talent up there in wisconsin it's it's um, it's not exactly the most glamorous place to go and play and he's done a phenomenal job they i think um so DV, um football outsiders who do the dvoa metric in for the nfl have a um uh, an equivalent metric for the college and it's called fei and I think they've been top five in FEI for the last two seasons. And I think they were third this year, only behind Georgia, who were who basically have a bunch of first round picks on their defense. And Oklahoma State, who had a historically good defense this year. So he's 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 very proven in the college ranks, you know. Would would want to see what he would be, but he would be a choice that would really shake things up and would be a very different choice to what the Ravens have been used to, but would still bring some of that kind of old school thinking.
2: It's worth mentioning before we get off this that the Ravens have asked to speak to a coach and that's uh, Joe Witt, I believe, He's a Cowboys secondary coach. I know nothing about the guy, but but he's the one that the Ravens
4: have actually asked to, to speak to at the minute. The other guy um, in college is Mike McDonald, who is the guy who he was an inside linebacker's coach of the Ravens. He was very well, highly thought of. He was actually in the frame for the job when Wink got the job uh, three, four years ago now. Uh, when he was 30 i think at that time and he um jim harbour uh, john's brother cleared out his staff at michigan last season and brought in mike mcdonald as their defensive coordinator and they had uh, you know jim harbour hasn't been able to buy a winning season at michigan and he managed to end up getting to the um to the national to the national championship semifinals uh, in the college football playoff on the back of a really good defense coordinated by mike mcdonald so he's another guy who's a who's an interesting sort of college option but i think seen as quite young for it and maybe needs a bit more seasoning i
0: mean he's 34 it's they're so young coaches,
4: aren't they? <laughs> and there, there is a thing about that with age and, and and coaching in the pros versus coaching in college you know if he's 34 he's coaching a bunch of 18 to 23 year olds and He's going to come into the pros, and there's going to be guys that are older than him. So you know, you do have to. I think you do have to kind of take that into consideration. But there have been some very successful young coaches uh, along the defensive side of the ball. So
1: it's going to be an interesting few weeks for the Ravens, Shane. Before we get off this, as we close the book on um, Wink's tenure as the Ravens DC, where do you where do you slot him in the, with the historic defensive coordinators we have? Will we look back and think this it was? Alongside the greats, or someone that will will look to be better in future.
5: Well, you can't. Obviously, you can't put anyone above Marvin Lewis. I don't think because you know defensive coordinator for the two thousand Ravens um, and coordinator of one of the best defenses of all time. So it's pretty hard to 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 go above that. And I think Dean Pease has to go above him as well by virtue of. of coaching the defensive coordinating the uh, other Ravens um, Super Bowl wins. So at least, you know, those top two are kind of fixed. If you're not taking the Ravens to a Super Bowl, I think there's a limit to how far you can go. Um, I also think that, that that sort of early run of coaches, I think, you know, Mike Nolan had some good defenses. Um, Rex Ryan is, I mean, I just like Rex Ryan for his love of chaos, which Wink, <laughs> which Wink continued, but not with... There's, there's a sort of precision insanity to the Rex Ryan approach to things that he kind of inherited from his father. Um, I put Wink sort of slightly below that those guys, I think. I mean, you know, you can't, as, as uh, Ian was saying earlier, you can't dismiss the fact that he had top five defences for three straight years. Um, I think the thing that people will probably count against him as they look back is that he was very good against young and experienced quarterbacks, but his defences often struggled to stop the really experienced guys who could look across the line and pretty much know what they were going to get or at least even if they didn't know what was coming they would know where they were going with the ball anyway so they didn't really care Um, I think that might always count against him but I think he definitely carried on that tradition of of Ravens defensive coordinators the idea of it being um, an aggressive risk-taking kind of defense which is part of the Ravens' identity
0: I mean can I take a, a poll here around the room as well? I'm going to have to take a little issue with <laughs> I see. your pointing of Dean Pease. I knew Gaz's along, face. Gaz's face in the uh, picture, uh, alongside uh, just because we won a Super Bowl, which obviously the, they, they did. The defense, the the defense, the defense but, but,
5: finished that uh, Super Bowl.
0: Certainly, in, yes, they did. The, old, they the Bowl, only but, year before Lamar Jackson but, and but the Ravens has been uh, known <laughs> for offense, but, but across the <laughs> spectrum of the the whole season, you could argue that that was. Maybe one of the most balanced Ravens teams of all time. It, yeah, it was, it was, it was good. It was very good at times on defense, um, and and obviously Flacco's you know, January Joe run saw us to the to the win. Uh, and but I, it, it kind of raises the question, you know, DCs obviously good 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 from the bad. You have to separate it, and some of them are, are exceptional in their sort of creativity and their play calling. But how much of it is the talent that they're lumped with and given? and obviously made the best of, and how much of it is individual coordinated talent? Because even Marvin Lewis, who, um, you know, as a a head coach did, you know, a decent job for Cincinnati. I think he went straight to Washington after us, didn't he? Um, For a short time before he went to to the Bengals. Um, But he had, I mean, some phenomenal talent, all just reaching a peak at the right time in 2000 to make that defense. And obviously the way they played made it, and I, I would put Marvin up there as well. But I'd probably put Rex... Um, kind of pretty close to Marvin for the way he used the talent that he had within those teams. I'd I'd say those two are my kind of beacon DCs for the Ravens in the tenure of a franchise. Um, Don't know about the rest of you guys uh, on that.
4: I mean, I just just have a... uh... Uh, didn't Dean? Hasn't Dean Pease retired like three times just so he can go <laughs> and get Matt. another job somewhere else? I mean, <laughs> and that, that is, has always annoyed me. So I don't. He,
5: well, he annoyed me recently too because he made this remark about young oh, coaches yeah. being impatient and they don't want to pay their dues. It's like, <laughs> dude, you've literally employed your son at two of your your career stops now. Like, maybe they're annoyed and they don't want to pay their dues because you're bringing your son along and giving him like prestige jobs in the NFL. Those was some excellent tweets. Yeah, I mean it's you know that that did get my goat, and critics critics of Dean Pease will always point to the fact that he he played not to lose in the fourth quarter of games, which frequently came back to haunt him, um, and that that was frustrating. But at the same time, I just I think it's like putting players into the Hall of Fame. If the guy's got a ring, you've kind of got to go. Well, you know that that that's got to be worth something.
4: Just we just need one word on. There was a, there was a political satire show a few years ago that when Mingy's Campbell was leader of the liberal Democrat party, who's, I think he was in like his seventies and they used to do him doing a spoof speech where he would say, just sit down, have a glass of warm milk and think about how wonderful life is. Um, and I just feel like that he, I, Greg Madison always reminded me of Mingy's Campbell. It it was just all too, it was all too nice. He was he was not Wink or Rex Ryan, so I just wanted to get a, a
1: Greg Madison reference in there. Does anyone want to throw out a landing spot for Wink before we get out of here? Anyone got any guesses where he's going to go? No, nobody got anything. No
4: zingers. It depends. It's really hard, isn't it? Because it depends who gets who gets who which DCs get hired as as head coaches, and then where he might go. I wonder whether um so. It feels like Todd Bowles might get another go round, another go this time around, um, and if he does, then I wouldn't put it past uh, Bruce Arians hiring Wink to come in and and coordinate the Bucks' defense, even though that's a slightly different defense than the one he's running in Baltimore.
5: I could see him fitting into Miami. Just you know, he looks like a guy who should be spending a lot of time in Florida, doesn't he? Just like if you just see
2: a picture of him, <laughs> didn't um didn't Pittsburgh just get rid of their DC? Oh, yeah.
0: Man. Oh gosh, oh, no. <laughs> there should be a clause in the contract. I'm going to go head
1: coach Texans. Mm-hmm. It's the sort of Texans move,
0: yeah, with Paul, isn't it? Because I'm not sure how many teams are now going to be after the Vic Gogh experiment are going to be kind of looking to recruit as a head coach. Basically, I don't want to say dinosaur because it's cruel, but you know the trend is definitely in the favor of young coaches now, isn't it?
1: Fangio must be looking at that open Ravens DC job thinking, you should have said anything! <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely few <furious> with himself. <laughs> Speaking of the defense, um, Derek Wolf, obviously we've not had him this year due to a bad back. So obviously James has gone and got hip surgery.
4: <laughs> it is a bit odd, but he's, and also his his leg is in the brace. It's like his knee's in the brace. So he, he had a bad back, he had a hip surgery, but he's come out of the hip surgery and they put his knee in a brace. It's like he, he went into the surgery and came out and was like, wait a minute, this wasn't what I was supposed to be having surgery
5: on. Do we think maybe he just tweeted before the anaesthetic had worn off? <laughs> <laughs> it might not even be his leg.
4: <laughs> Hopefully he gets back. You know, you've, uh, for people who can't see the show script, and uh, Gaz has said that this is a James question, because I do love Derek Wolfe. Uh, although, Gaz, I don't think wolves say woof. So that's <laughs> that's not quite accurate.
5: They're uh, quite famous for howling. Yes.
4: I w-
1: is it, should I put a woo? Is that a, is that a better one?
5: A woo.
4: I mean, I wouldn't put woo that he's had quite a probably serious oh, no. hip surgery. Um, <laughs> um, he's, uh, hopefully, he's a big part of the Ravens' defense and I do hope he comes back healthy. Uh, he's, you know, he makes that defense tick and he makes other people better. And I, I was annoyed that we didn't get to see him um spelling away around the edge on stunts um and all year so it's a bit dif- bit disappointing that we had didn't see him this year and it'd be great if he could get back but it, i mean it's not it doesn't bode well that he was injured throughout the season he's only just got the surgery so there must be a, must have been something else gone wrong or something happened because i'm not i can't can't imagine that he would have waited till the end of the season to get the surgery he's a team guy so it'd be interesting to see what happens there
1: well, luckily, spoiler alert, next week we will be once again joined by actual real-life human that listens to this podcast, Dr. Sid. So Dr. Sid might be able to explain to us how a back injury can turn into <laughs> a knee brace with hip surgery in the middle, I hope. So hopefully he can shed some light on this silly conversation. He's, he's a having.
5: doctor, not a miracle worker. There's, <laughs> a, there's a limit to how much he can we don't, explain. Know, we don't know that, Shane. We don't know that for sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay ian let's move in to the uk ravens awards you started announcing them over the weekend so the first one is the social media follow of the year who took the award home with them
2: yes yeah, so and no surprises here this is i think we've been doing this on twitter four years now i think and and we've
0: is is it no surprises because i Gave a massive spoiler before and ruined it <laughs> <laughs> completely.
2: That, that too, um, but I think I think we we renamed this the the Jeff Award. Now basically, he he's won it every year. Jeff Jeff Zed, Um No one's going to say his his surname, are they? On the pod, no one's a There you go. No one's brave enough. Apart from Gaz, um, he, he's a phenomenal follow for anyone. I, I'm sure everyone listening to this already does. He he walks this every year. He gets all the votes. Um, to be fair, Cassie put up a, a little fight for about two or three days and, and then her, her votes started to drop off. And yeah, if you don't follow Jeff, go find him on Twitter or his or athletic. It is behind a paywall. Um, but it, it's, it's not very much money and it's certainly worth it. You'll, you'll get your money's worth out of it.
5: And the great thing about Jeff, as well, is that he will—he'll answer questions from fans on Twitter, and he answers questions from fans on the Athletic all the time. He's not one of these journalists who kind of ignores the the ordinary people and only speaks to uh, other blue ticks. He'll quite happily join a chat with anybody.
2: He, he did a, a, a good YouTube with uh, with Bobby, actually,
1: who we had on a couple of
2: weeks ago. It's, it's worth digging that one out and, and seeing the two of them sit down together.
1: So the next award or op- then was the most underappreciated Raven who took that one home. Ian?
2: so Kevin Zeitler took took that one. Um This was the closest vote we had actually. Zeitler won that with twenty seven percent of the votes. But wow. um That's yeah, Ty- Tyus Bowser was wasn't far behind. It was really nice to see some of the names included here. So so at the top was Zeitler, who I, I think has had a phenomenal year and and rightly so won won this award. Um, Bowser was was right there as was Bradley Bozeman and Caleus Campbell I think was the other one who was who was kicking about so it was
1: all it was all pretty tight. Everyone in agreement there Well everyone in agreement that Zeitler's, zeitler what should have won it.
4: Yeah, I think it's probably rep- representative with Bowser being close as well. I, I'd have put Bowser up there too, but I would, I would agree. I think Zeitler because you've got to this one's underappreciated. They've got you've got to have an opinion that they're not they don't get much credit. And I didn't, I don't think I saw Kevin Zeitler mentioned once all year um, on
1: social media. So did, yeah. did did Bowser lose out due to a podcast bump? If you get a podcast jingle, does that make you too appreciated to win the underappreciated award?
5: I might do it. That might, might
1: be the thing. That might be it. Sorry, Bowser. That's that that could be my fault. <laughs> okay. Oh well, well no, this I guess this works into the, the rules I've just set. Rookie of the year, Ian. No surprises here.
2: No, this this was a definite podcast bump. This was this was OA, a OA. By by a oh, distance. By a distance. I think the the, jing, the jingle. Yeah, this this wasn't particularly close. Um Bateman got a few votes and Stevens got a few, but um, yeah, this this was the the second highest percentage wise. I think I think we all know and we'll get there what, what the highest was, but yeah, Bowser uh, Bowser, sorry, um, away
4: walked away with this one. I, I feel like I can take some of the credit uh for that for that podcast bump. Uh I mean, I, I've talked about him pretty much on every single episode of the,
1: the podcast. <laughs> so. someone, so I'm surprised Cole Jackson didn't get social media following. <laughs> <him yet>. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he must have been in with he must have a shot. <laughs> Well, he
5: got he got defensive player of the year. We haven't
1: got to that one yet. <laughs> next year. Cole. keep pushing, keep pushing with it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> defensive player of the year, Ian.
2: Yeah, so I've, I've given this one away as well. Haven't I haven't. This was Tyus Bowser. Um, it was it was close-ish. A few people got some votes. Queen got got some votes, but um, but I, to me, Bowser was the, the standout candidate here. Um, it would have been interesting had Marlon stayed fit all year. I think Marlon's won this one for the last two. Two or three years. So, had he stayed fit, it would have been interesting to see whether people had moved off him towards Bowser, who I think really, really took a leap this year.
1: Okay, so Ian, I guess this was the runaway winner, play of the year.
2: Play, play of the year was was Justin Tucker by a mile, wasn't it? it was the sixty six yard field goal. It, it wasn't the runaway winner that we thought. O.A. got an awful lot of votes for his, for his uh, fumble recovery against KC, which I think was. Again, podcast bump and a, and a favorite of ours. Um, really good play, but how could you, I, I voted for Tucker. I mean, it, it was special to us with the meetups. And I mean, it's never been done in the NFL before. I think it's going to stand for, for a long time. Um, I, I tweeted, I found the, the Ravens video that had us on it. I, I tweeted that out when I did the awards. It's nice to see that again and just, just the emotion from everyone. I think t- just brought it all back. Remember James's little face in in the bar as the as the <laughs> ball hit the crossbar and went over.
1: Yeah, it was excellent. In, in both, in me and like I, say, I think we we mentioned when Bobby was on the other week, me and Ben were in a deep embrace as as the ball went through. And well, yeah, what an awesome experience.
0: All inhibitions gone at that point. Yeah, so it was uh, it was a magical evening, and I can see how there'd be the appeal for away's strip sack as well. Um, because it was so important to so many people that we finally got over that hump of beating the Chiefs. And I mean, that was... You're talking about game-changing plays. That would be a worthy winner, but I don't think it could be anything else than, than tough, could it?
1: So I think I'm pretty much five for five on what I voted versus the winner. So I think I was just about as vanilla as it came. However, I did go somewhere different on this next one. Ian, Team MVP
2: you you were the one that slipped then because there wasn't many people that didn't vote. Mark Andrews won this at a canter. Um, I think he polled about 87% of the vote. So I, I can only imagine that Gaz and, and a couple of others had had a few beers and pressed the wrong button.
1: <laughs> I, I, I went Lamar. I, when, um, when Nat Coombs came on, I remember saying to him, I don't just think he's the best player on the team. I think he's the league MVP. And I think, throughout the first half of the season, he, he could have won the league MVP. As the team started to break down around him, it, it obviously he it had a few sort of bad performances. But what made what made Lamar, for me, the clear MVP is whenever Lamar was in the game, we all sat here and, and thought we had a chance, no matter how how taken back the defense were, how many players we'd lost on offense, we'd lost all those running backs... With number eight behind center, all of us felt like we had a chance. And I think when in the Browns game, when we saw Lamar go out, the deflation immediately. It just felt like the season was over. And to me, that makes him the MVP because we saw both sides of it. We saw what it was like to have him there, and then you take him away, and, and what happened to the what happened to the team after that is is why I went Lamar.
0: It's a valid
1: argument. Thank it so. really
4: is, and it, and it's the thing that isn't it that makes you think about his contract the most that if they, when they do get the contract done when you look at the the talent deficiency that the Ravens had this year it was largely covered up by Lamar at different points so to give him the kind of packet that they're going to have to give him that they've give that to other teams have given other quarterbacks just <laughs> as a uh, quarterbacks um Makes it makes you think. Actually, it's it's going to be worth it. It's going to be a contract that's going to be worth it because he's going to be able to cover up for a, for a lot of deficiencies, and we saw that throughout the season. So I think it's a really solid argument, guys.
1: Uh, there was one other award given. I, I feel bad bringing it up. <laughs> I, I was, was going to do it because I didn't. I didn't think you would. like
2: Shane and I have done have done this, uh, and and I want to pull back the curtain a bit here, guys, because you don't know this. But I I spoke to Ben and James about this as well. Um, so we give out an outstanding contribution award for, for someone who's, who's gone out of their way to to provide for the UK Ravens. Uh, Cassie's won it in the past. She's, she's done an awful lot of work for us. Laura, who we've, we've had on the, the podcast as well. Um, she's, she set up all those zoom meetings. She raided the team shop. For Shane and I sent us a load of t-shirts that, w- that we gave away. Um, and, and this year we were, we were having a chat about it. And we kept coming back to one name and, and Ben and James we're exactly the same. And the outstanding contribution had to be you this year, Gaz. Everyone that's listening to this podcast now. Um, this podcast wouldn't happen without Gaz. We, we turn up here on a Tuesday night, usually, and four of us talk nonsense and then we leave and we think nothing more about it. And, and poor Gaz <laughs> has to edit this thing and, and get it put together. And sometimes we record late on a Wednesday and he still gets it out on a Thursday. He knackers us all the time. About our sound quality and our mics and everything, <laughs> and he said when we were putting this podcast together that we wouldn't do it unless it was going to sound proper. He didn't want it to be one of these where it just sounds like everyone's phoning it in on a on a potato. And that's a credit to to Gaz, and that's why this podcast is as good as it is. But but beyond that, if you've brought anything from the merch shop, I think ninety nine percent of the the items in there Gaz designed himself. He set that that shop up. Um, he's also worked with Ben to put one, two, three meets together um, up north. Um, so this was a thank you from from us to you for everything you've done uh, for for us this season, and and this wouldn't be possible without you.
0: Guys, could you fade some applause in as well,
1: please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'll put it in post. Don't worry about that. No, thanks, guys. I'm, I'm sat here blushing, and um, no comment on that. Just thank you. The pleasure's all mine. Ian. I, as we've said on the podcast and I've said to you guys personally before, I enjoy doing this so much. I enjoy sitting down with you guys and even in a lost Ravens season, it's awesome to get together with you guys once a week and, and talk Ravens football and just general NFL football. So um, thank you very much. I was very humbled, very honoured by it. And yeah, let's go. So we can go back to back next year. Okay, so <laughs> let's get off the Ravens and off me as quickly as possible. For some reason, I don't seem to like talking about myself, even though you won't think that if you met me, <laughs> oh dear. Okay, playoff news. Um, Shane, Bengals dump the Titans out.
5: Yeah. So after what we said last week was a pretty underwhelming wild card weekend, the divisional playoff weekend was really good. And this was a very tight game. The Titans, I think, were feeling pretty confident. They got the number one seed despite by many measures, including uh, DVOA being the worst number one seed of, uh, well, since records began anyway, uh, which Titans fans were somewhat affronted by, Um, and the Bengals rolled into town and weren't remotely cowed by that, um, intercepted Ryan Tannehill on the first play of the game, uh, and then intercepted him a couple more times, including right at the end, to set up a, a game-winning field goal, um, and I said this on, on Twitter over the weekend. It is, you know, as Ravens fans, it's quite dispiriting to see a division rival get into uh, the championship game and just sixty minutes potentially away from getting back to the Super Bowl. But we shouldn't shouldn't forget to to take the time to laugh at the Titans throughout this, who um, <laughs> a team that you know dumped us out of the playoffs when we were number one seed and uh, um, have they've always had a bit of a rivalry with us but it's kind of refueled over the last few seasons so uh you know it's quite quite amusing to see them taken out of the playoffs still no super bowl in that um, dusty trophy cabinet that they've got down there so you know it's you've got to look at it as a as a as a no lose situation rather than a no win situation one of those teams had to lose
0: as i posted the other night on on both twitter and facebook because I I took the time to take a picture of my tv screen and pause it at the same time it was it, obviously they'd knocked us out when we'd been number 1 seed once but we've done it twice to them uh <laughs> in, in 2000 2008 when i was there so and and then the the caption said you know sort of yeah, times as number 1 seed 2000 lost to ravens 2008 lost to ravens then they had mike Vrabel saying 2022 or 2021 question mark and i should have just sort of ridden over lost <laughs> again
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know what the more we move away from the season and the more we move away from the bengals fans in the mentions and all over twitter i've not really been keeping too much tr- track on the bengals I, I, i'm i don't mind it and i'd much rather be the bengals and i would be the steelers or the browns Let, let's just get that of all the teams out of the AFC North that are not the Ravens. I think we had we said this when we had the guy from the Bengals on that we've seen, we seen we haven't really had the same rival with the, with the Bengals and they are fun to watch. And also they the tied the NFL record. Joe Burrow got sacked 9 times in divisional in the divisional round. So what you're going to get is you're going to get this it, well, it looks like we're going to get this super offensive heavy AFC Championship game and Really, it probably could go both ways. I think the Chiefs are favoured by more than a touchdown. I think it's opened at seven and a half. But if the Bengals scrape through and somehow make it into the Super Bowl, they're going to get either the 49ers or the Rams, who are two huge defensive units. If Joe Burrow gets to the Super Bowl, he could get sacked... No less than 25 times <laughs> because that Rams D line and not not messing around. And Shane, as you said last week, sometimes it's better to see your rival go as far as possible and lose in the most heartbreaking way. If it ends up being, and I know we're jinxing it, if the Bengals get there, it could be that the Bengals pull off an upset against the Rams. The Rams offense isn't quite what it could be, but... You'd like, it's just going to get absolutely. Am I the only one that thinks this? They're just going to get hammered in the Super Bowl if they get there, aren't
5: they? It certainly seems that way. And I'm kind of hoping, like, a a Bengals 49ers Super Bowl with them losing to the 49ers at the end would be pretty entertaining. So, if younger listeners to the show might not know that the Bengals have been to the Super Bowl twice and both times they lost to the 49ers, it would be pretty funny if the 49ers showed up again and were like, yeah, sorry
0: guys. <laughs> just, I mean, just like we just keep last, coming along to do this. They could do the last snap of the game. They could bring like Steve Young into the backfield, like Ray Lewis against the Colts, and just do kind of <laughs> a victory, a victory dance.
1: So I, I'm, I'm, I'm rocking um, Rams Nation from here on in. My friend Tom's a, a good friend, and he's a Rams fan. So I'm. And Rams have always sort of been my like secretly second team in the in the NFC. It was, I was torn between the Rams and the Saints for a while. And of all the teams left, I'd like to see the Rams do it. I'd suggested they have a, a UK Rams account. We didn't manage to get them on. I suggested that Horny Brits was a better name for the um, UK Rams account. And they, they didn't go for it, unfortunately. 49ers outlast the Packers, Ian. Special teams, turns out it matters.
2: Yeah, apparently so. Um, so, uh... Hands in the air since the season ended for the Ravens. I haven't watched a single snap of football. Um, I haven't listened to any podcasts that, that haven't been Ravens and so no around the NFL, none of that stuff. I'm told this was probably the, the worst of the games over the weekend. Um, and, and the Packers special teams were again special. I think there was a, a blocked punt that was returned, wasn't there? And a, a maybe a blocked field goal. I'm not sure. Um, I've, I've said before that the Packers would probably be my second team. So, I would have probably rooted for them in this one but um yeah
4: good good luck to the 49ers. Th- this one was this one was this game was drunk. Uh there was, <laughs> there, well, to be fair the Buccaneers Rams game was probably more drunk actually but the the the, the thing that was great <laughs> just Funny about this was that, you know, there, there was the blocked punting where the <laughs> the ball was up in the air for it. It felt like about five minutes, and everyone's like locking up trying to find the ball, can't find it, and then it falls down. I could not believe that the Packers did not find a way to get the ball. The amount of time it was in the air, they gave up a massive kick return. They had a blocked field goal. And then to, to make matters worse, the, the final insult, the final nail in the coffin of the Packers special teams coordinator, I'm sure, was on the final field goal attempt for the 49ers to win the game. The Packers only had 10 guys on the field.
0: It was great. It was great watching that on, on Twitter saying, no, I'm sure there was a guy by the, by the goalpost. Like, no, there wasn't. It was literally just, and they also, to also put extra spice on that, that was following a timeout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And and, yeah okay and and just and and just going back to my professional life unfortunately i had 14 uk packers at that game who were all very excited that taking a bus from chicago (laughs) had a great tailgate were enduring the snow and i think it was minus 17 or something degree weather um and they didn't get that win and for that alone i was gutted for them
1: Rodgers must be immunized against playing in the Super Bowl at this rate. <laughs> it, it just can't, can't seem to get there, can he? But, well, I don't know. Just the flip side of this, we'll talk about it over the offseason. The fact that he's now sort of crashed out of the playoffs makes me think that he might not re sign with Green Bay. And we're now looking at once again at Rodgers in pit, which I don't like the thought of. So, Ben, books, Rams. The Rams should have run away with it, but then just sort of like. Yeah. Coasted, not realizing that number twelve was playing for the other team, and and very nearly gave it all away.
0: It was uh, insanity. Uh, I, I don't know how many times the Rams tried to lose this game, but I mean they were they were comfortable, um, really throughout. And and uh, Brady and the Bucks' offense, especially, looked off. Um, they didn't quite look on the same speed as the Rams from the beginning of the game. And um, and I was hoping for a close game, so I kept thinking, yeah, come on do something with the stick and, and, and the thing was happening with the with the Bucks um, and then inexplicably you had a, a time just before halftime where they could have gone up I think it was three scores um, and uh, Akers Cam Akers who's come back with that miracle re-healing of the Achilles uh, managed to fumble it at the goal line when worst case scenario they're going to have three points and you know Go and comes all the way up uh, and that that gave and then he fumbled later in the game as well at a critical point that gave the ball back to the Bucks Cooper Cup fumbled, and this guy doesn't generally do that, again, at a critical moment. Um, so it got to a point where somehow the Bucks, and it got to four minutes to go, the The Bucks didn't convert the fourth down. And I said to my wife, right, that's it, this game's over, let's go up. By the time I'd brushed my teeth and got into bed <laughs> and checked Twitter, people all over the place were tweeting saying, he can't do it again, can he? And like, you know, post pictures of Tom Brady as like the, the you know, the ice king from, you know, whatever Game it's called, and Dragons or Game of Thrones. <laughs> <it>? <Yeah>. But the thing is I watched I watched all of Game of Thrones as well so that's just uh, anyway uh, and, and, and then and then they tie it up while I'm watching my plan, I, can't, I can't believe it. my wife's gone to sleep by now and I'm saying it's actually 27-27 she's like oh whatever um, and then and then to, to but then to add the nail into the coffin they once again left the best receiver in the league the highest fantasy scorer I know this I had him on my team um, Gosh. wide open wide open not once but twice in the game and 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 for the Dagger blow, Cooper Cup wide open, uh, easy field goal range, chip shot for the win, and that was it. They went home. But it was, uh, the Rams really, really, really tried to lose this one, but they weren't quite bad enough to do it. Very,
1: very chivalrous second half. Neither team just wanted to win. No, honestly, guys, you win. At one point, I think the Rams had recovered a fumble and then immediately snapped it over Stafford's head and just gave the ball back to the books. It was amazing. It was stunning. Absolutely. It was such a good set first half from the Rams. Um, again, shout out to my friend Tom, who we've just mentioned. We're in a text group together where we talk about the NFL and everything was going swimmingly for the first half in the group. We'd like to talk about, oh, it'd be really good to see the Rams in the Super Bowl and how weird it'll be after 55 years of no team playing at home. It looks like we might get two teams back to back. And then just descended into utter chaos for an hour and a half. And there's someone out of the playoffs who's sort of got over it now. Hilarious. And then finally, James Chiefs Bills. Only one thing could have made this game better, which would have been the Bills to win and see the back of the Chiefs. But game of the year, game of the century, best game of NFL football ever, maybe.
4: Yeah, I, I made the decision to stay up and watch this one because um, I, I just well, it looked like the the main course of the weekend. And uh, it certainly didn't disappoint even after three games that had already been incredibly close. This one was just ridiculous and was an instant classic. And I would encourage anybody, I know it was on a bit late, I'd encourage anybody who hasn't watched it yet. I know this will be coming out midweek, but go, go back and watch it. Um, it was just absolutely crazy. Um, there was a, the, the 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 final two minutes is the kind of, I mean, turn off if you don't want spoilers, but the final two minutes especially there was uh, a touchdown that josh allen scored with two minutes with less than two minutes to go and you thought oh he's left far too much time for my homes and sure enough he had left too much time for my homes and he hits Tyree kill for a long touchdown and but you look at the clock and oh it's a minute 13 seconds he might have might have left too much time on the clock for josh allen and sure enough, he had left too much time on the clock for Josh Allen. Josh Allen drives him down the field, scores a touchdown. They get a two point conversion and get a three a three point lead. And then you look at the clock and you're like, "Oh, thirteen seconds." Maybe he's left too much time on the clock for <laughs> Pat Mahomes, and he actually had Mahomes drives it, drives it down. They get a field goal from Harrison Butker, who had reminded us that he is worse than Justin Tucker with a couple of misses in the game, uh, which was very nice. And then it went to overtime, and the Chiefs won because they won the coin toss. Uh, and it was it was just so obvious from the last, you know, few drives that whoever was going to win that coin toss was going to win the game, and uh, and they did. And uh, the Chiefs go through. Feel
0: and... like Ravens Colts in, in the regular season, wasn't it? With that with that coin toss, and that's reignited a lot of debate about the rules of overtime and whether they're fit for purpose.
4: Yeah, I mean, when you get into that situation where it's like a. I think a few years ago on, on a soccer Saturday, Paul Merson used to say, you go, we go, you go, we go in terms of attacking. And that's exactly what it was towards the end of that game. And, uh, you know, when you get into a situation like that, you, you sort of think maybe, maybe they should change the overtime rules and let both teams possess. But then again, you don't particularly want what, what happens in college where it's um, where you go in from the 20-yard line and take it in turns. And those those things can get can get pretty ridiculous. That, going I mean, to... that would
1: have been awesome. That, that game had, could have still been going on now but we've got this on Monday night. <laughs> at what point do they, do they give in? It, it was incredible. One of the things we're going to do in the offseason is talk about some rule changes. I know the overtime rule is something that is a, a hot topic at the moment. So I, I imagine one of us will put through a better overtime rule james you mentioned the kickers you mentioned booker we we probably did the bengals a bit of disservice by not mentioning evan mcpherson how much are we going to hear about evan mcpherson being the best kicker in the afc north over the summer <laughs> do you think
4: i'm sure we're going to hear about it uh it, it will be totally ridiculous uh <laughs> but he does it, you know the, the kids the kid has started his his career off in, you know, in, in Justin Tucker like fashion. So you have to kind of sit up and take notice. Um, If you really want some, really want to see uh, his party trick, uh, there is a video going around, which it's claimed is true, uh, where he kicks the ball from, from like, I think it's like the 30 or 40 yard line. And it's in a practice facility. And there is like a balcony behind the, uh behind the goal behind the goal posts and he kicks it from like the 30 or 40 yard line through the posts but up onto the balcony and the ball skims a bottle of like Gatorade or something and takes the top off the bottle.
1: It's you, fake. You've, <laughs> it. you've been done. That, oh, see, no I see, I, do you see, I, th- I do think it's real, but I think you've then, there is probably 430 other balls behind the camera that you haven't seen. <laughs> yeah. It probably took him three days to film it. You see these things go up on TikTok all the time and it's actually now become a thing where people, when they're doing these challenges, record themselves with a the clock so you can see how long they actually sat there, with how accurate an NFL kicker must be, surely can get in the vicinity of a bottle. And it was, must have just been one of those, oh, I've got three days to kill. What can we do? I know it will go viral. And I, I think I think it is real. So I've got to admit, I do think it's real. He, uh,
4: in all seriousness, he's, he's a very good kicker and, and he passed the test that most kickers have to pass uh, if they're going to be considered really good, which is to, to kick under that kind of pressure to win a game in the playoffs, pass that test. Justin took us past that test a lot of times, so let's see uh, how consistent he is as he goes forward. He's a good kicker, but he's not—he's not our guy.
1: Yeah, doesn't mean we're not going to hear the end of it. So we have Bengals at Chiefs and 49ers at Rams in the championship games. Where do we all stand, Rams? bengal oh, we can't want we can't want the chiefs to go this is a can i mean if some if something happened like another pandemic and these games just never got played that's probably the best result at this point isn't it
4: <laughs> <laughs> i celebrated that bill's touchdown so much just because i knew i would be able to have a rooting interest in the afc championship game but now it is
5: uh, it's impossible isn't it no i'm sticking with bengal's 49ers that's my
0: I think I, I'm on board with Shane as long as we can guarantee a Bengals loss in the Super Bowl.
5: This is always the risk. Yeah. It's always the risk with your rivals going to the to the wire. But you know, at this point, give give
2: me Rams Chiefs, and I want. Oh, that they, they, no. they, they've gone on and on about how they've rebuilt this offensive line and it's so good, and Mahomes. Let's just see him get splattered again in the Super Bowl. Donald <laughs> well, just goes. Donald goes mad.
4: No. Can we can we can we now refer to it as him getting spatchcocked?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's um it's Rams Bengals for me with the Rams to record double digit sacks. That's that's the only thing that can can save this season. Another home win in in the stadium would be would be awesome. Okay, let's get out of here. We had loads of things we were gonna get to, but we ran a little bit longer than expected with Bradley Bozeman and chatting about the news and the awards so luckily we've got a few months to think about content so i propose we push the rest of our show scripts back to next week and we'll start talking about some potential rule changes. I've also been back and listened to episode six, guys. Episode six was the season predictions episode. So I've got all your season predictions written down here. Please don't spoil it for yourself and listen to the episode this week. We'll go over them next week and we'll we'll just see how how close you were to your prediction being right. Ben, yours is a Crack. Ben, yours is definitely my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
0: great. I'm so glad. But I man, should never comment again so everyone gets injured, whoever I mention. Yeah. Mate, it it okay. was that good, i
1: maybe turn it into a song, which I'll play after the, <laughs> <Thanks>. after the <laughs> outro. <to laughs> have you, you tortured
0: me enough after <laughs>
1: <later>? <laughs> If anyone doesn't listen to the Easter eggs, please never stop this podcast before the end of the outro, because honestly, that... Usually 5 to 30 seconds is my best work of the entire podcast. (laughs) So if you you don't already, please listen to the end of the outro. Okay, guys, let's get out of here. We'll be back next week, Thursday, the 3rd of February, where the Washington football team will have a new name. Now, we usually record on a Tuesday, which will be the first, so we won't know the name. So we might have to record on Wednesday next week, just because it's a, a key news item as it's the local team. We're also going to be joined once again by Dr. Sid, who's going to talk about the Ravens injuries going into the offseason and beyond and how the team might look for 2022. We'll catch up with any breaking Ravens news and talk about who made it to the Super Bowl, while James might talk too long about the college all-star games. excited, It's, it's, it's James' time of year now, isn't it, James? Are you, are you looking forward to what the next three months have to offer?
4: Yeah, and I'm also looking forward to logging into the app and seeing how much the the listenership has plummeted since I start (laughs) talking about some guard out of Colorado State.
1: So remember, as we uh, shut this podcast down for this episode, please, please, please do your mock drafts and send them directly to James. It's at NFL Ogden <laughs> on Twitter. He would love to see them and love to comment on how he thinks your mock draft went. Hopefully if you'd like to be involved with the show, please as always email us at UKRavensShow at gmod.com. And until next week, let's go
0: Ravens. Thank you for listening to the UK Ravens podcast. This podcast is created, posted and produced by members of the UK Ravens. Join the community on social media at ukravens and facebook.com forward slash ukravens. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the UK Ravens podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. To be involved with the show, email us at ukravenshow at gmail.com. For more info, links, and to stay up to date, visit www.ukravens.com.
5: This episode is going to be like a Bengals playoff run. It's short and painful. Oh, no. (laughs)